Good morning again. Thank you for being here this morning and for the good energy. Everybody's excited. Would you please open again to Luke 2 if you're not already there? This morning I'm going to continue a two-week Christmas series about the presence of God and the peace of God. Last week we talked about the presence of God and what that means to us and how it fits into what we call Christmas. Today we'll focus on God's peace. What is peace? Can we have it? If so, how do we get it? If we have it, how do we experience it? What does that look like? And why do we even need it? I'm going to attempt to answer all of those questions this morning. But first, I'd like to read our text once more. Now, I'd invite you to stand, please. This is Luke chapter 2. I'm going to read just two verses, verses 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Let's pray together, please. Our Father, we rejoice to have a part in this good news that we've just read about. I pray that even with the familiarity of this passage, that it would be meaningful to us this morning. That your Holy Spirit would teach us yet again. That he would bring things to our remembrance this morning. That he would give us understanding. Lord, may your presence and your peace with us be real. that you would help us to focus our thoughts during these moments together. We look forward to gathering with friends and with family. And yet right now I pray that we would focus on worshiping you during this time and hearing from your word. I ask Holy Spirit that you would anoint me to teach your word, that it would be accurate, that it would be clear. Spirit would have your way in our hearts. Make us receptive to what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I looked this up. Did not know this at all. But the word peace occurs 397 times in the translation that I'm using of the Bible. That's a lot. Not as many as some words, but that's a lot. 397 times. What is peace? We could offer a lot of different definitions. One that I found this week was tranquility, harmony, or security. And depending on the situation, it could also mean prosperity or well-being. I read an article this week that presented three different types of peace that we can experience. The first is internal, that is peace within ourselves. The second is interpersonal, peace with other people, friends, family members, acquaintances, co-workers. And the third is international, peace among nations and ethnicities. Jesus came some 2,000 years ago to provide for us to be able to experience internal peace. 
actually interpersonal peace. But as we are well aware, that international peace is not going to occur until he comes again. And he'll bring it, but he hasn't brought it yet. Today we're going to focus specifically on that first one. The internal peace that begins when we have peace with God. And we're going to explore some of the implications of that kind of peace for our lives. You may be wondering, why do we talk so much about peace at Christmas? There are songs about peace. There are greeting cards that talk about peace. Why? Is it really related to Christmas? And yes, of course it is. And I'd like to show you. We're going to start with a famous prophecy from Isaiah. You can turn there if you want to. We're going to look at several scriptures again this morning like we did last week. This is more of a, a word study on peace rather than a verse-by-verse -verse study of a passage. But we're going to begin with Isaiah 9 this morning. Verses 6 and 7 go like this. For unto us a child is born. This is familiar to you. Unto us a son is given. The son has always been. The child is born. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and, what's the next word? peace there will be no end what's that describing it's describing unending peace he is the prince of peace he will bring peace and when he does ultimately establish his peace and rule his kingdom it will be unending upon the throne of david and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with just judgment and justice from that time forward even forever the zeal of the lord of hosts Famous passage that, yes, it talks about peace. It talks about peace twice in two verses. Jesus, the promised Messiah, is the Prince of Peace. And a similar idea appears in the New Testament in the book of 2 Thessalonians. There, Paul calls Jesus the Lord of Peace. He wrote this, Now may the Lord of Peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. So Jesus is the Prince of Peace in Isaiah. He is the Lord of Peace in 2 Thessalonians 3. And we can experience his peace in some way because he is present with us. The end of that verse says, the Lord be with you all. That's what we talked about last week. Well, let's go back to Christmas and move on to another famous prophecy. The one that predicted that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Where do we have that prophecy? What book of the Bible is that? Micah, and specifically Micah chapter 5. I'm going to read verse 2 and part of verse 5. Again, very familiar. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from of old, from everlasting. We're not dealing specifically with this passage this morning. But the context is a time of war, and God is reassuring his people, specifically the people of Judah, that even though they are weak, even though they are under attack, he is going to protect them, he is going to deliver them, he is going to rescue them. And in the midst of that, he talks about this little city. We wouldn't know about Bethlehem if God hadn't predicted and then delivered on his promise that Jesus would be born there. It's just a backcountry place. We know it from the Old Testament. We read about it in the time of David, in the time of prior to that but then I wouldn't know about it in the New Testament except this is where God chose for his son to be born and this is the prediction you Bethlehem though you're a little city a little town little among the thousands of Judah 
yet will come forth one who will be the ruler in Israel, whose going forth, goings forth are from of old, who's been around since eternity, from everlasting. And then, I'm going to skip. You can read it on your own later, study it out, but skipping to verse 5, there's this interesting statement that ties us back to the word peace. What does it say about this promised one, this Messiah? This one shall be peace. If I stop like that today, I'm looking for the word peace, just in case you haven't figured it out yet. Peace. Who is this Messiah to be born in Bethlehem? What should we know about him? That among other things, he shall be peace. He's going to bring peace, but he's going to be peace. That's what this says. Now, if we go back to Luke, chapters 1 and 2, that word peace appears two other times. We didn't read it today, but you're probably familiar as well with chapter 1. It deals with Zacharias and Elizabeth and the birth of John the Baptist. And in the midst of that, Zacharias prophesied over his son, John the Baptist, here's who you're going to be, here's who you're going to foretell of, go before. And here's what Zacharias said about the Messiah. This is verse 78 of that previous chapter, starting halfway through that verse. The day spring from on high has visited us. That would be God. Why? Verse 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. And what else? To guide our feet into the way of peace. He's going to guide us into peace. He's going to lead us into peace. What is the Messiah going to be? He's going to be peace. What is he going to guide us into? He's going to guide us into peace. When Joseph and Mary brought Jesus to the temple to dedicate him, a just and devout man named Simeon, who was filled with the Holy Spirit, that's what the Bible tells us about him, prophesied over Jesus. And this is skipping ahead now to chapter 2, verse 27. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, and we'll talk about his speech in a second, but just imagine that. The Holy Spirit has revealed to him that he will not die until he sees, sees the Messiah. And by the Spirit, the Spirit leads him to come in on that specific day, at that specific time, and here he is holding the Messiah as a baby in his arms. He picks him up, and this is what he has to say. Verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Did you catch that? Simeon said that he had seen God's salvation, and that salvation was a person, a baby, the infant Jesus. And because Simeon had seen Jesus and believed that he was the Messiah, he had peace. That's our first of two main points this morning. We receive peace with God by faith in Jesus. We receive peace with God through faith in Jesus. Let me reread our text in Luke 2, verses 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Our text is what the multitude, the countless number of angels, said in praise to God. But back up with me to verse 10. This is what the first angel had said to the shepherds. This is Luke 2, verses 10 and 11. Then the angel said to them, 
do not be afraid. For behold, listen up, pay attention. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, that's Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The message from the angel is good tidings. We would say good news. Literally, it's the same word as gospel. This is good tidings of great joy. And for whom? What does it say? All. Who? All. All. It's for everybody. The gospel is for everyone. So what is that good news? That a baby has been born? Well, that, that's very slightly part of it. I mean, that is, he was born, but why? There are babies born every day. This isn't just any baby. This baby bears three important titles. Savior, Christ, and Lord. He's Savior because he's the rescuer from sin. He has come to redeem mankind. He's Christ because he's the promised Messiah. And he's Lord because he is God himself. Who has come in human flesh. And that's the good news. And it's for everyone. But now let's look again at verse 14. That was for everyone. Here's what the multitude of angels says. Would you read it with me this time? Because this is a multitude of angels, and I can't do that by myself. So would you read it out loud, please? This is verse 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. I'd like to show you this in another translation as well. Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to people he favors. The good news in verse 10 is for everyone. <laughs> but what about the peace in verse 14? Is it for everyone? I guess apparently not. And I have one person shaking his head and the rest of you are abstaining. I think I'm going to trick you. I'm really not. Surprisingly, no. The peace that the multitude of angels is saying, or we sometimes say singing about, they're praising God, and they talk about this peace that's for a specific group of people. It seems that this peace is only for those who have found favor with God. Or we could say, <laughs> those who have received His grace. Many of us give and receive gifts at this time of year. Over the years, we've often traveled around Christmas time, so we kind of move Christmas to wherever it fits our schedule. We celebrated as a family yesterday morning. You all probably have different gatherings planned and some of you will receive and, and give gifts if i buy something that i think you'll like <laughs> i bought this gift and i have it and i want to give it to you what do you have to do you have to take it you have to receive it exactly you can't pay me for it because it's a gift but you do have to receive it from me here is the Bob paraphrase of verse 14. This is not inspired, but in studying it, this is what I believe it's saying. In heaven, glory to God. On earth, peace to people who receive his grace. I believe that's the message of the choir of angels. Do you want peace this Christmas? Do you want grace this Christmas? I do. You can have them. They're God's gift to you. 
You can find them in Jesus Christ, the Savior. All you have to do is receive them by faith. Note that the gift of grace comes before the gift of peace. In fact, I would say that peace comes because grace has been received. So how should we respond to the good news that we read in verse 10? Well, it isn't enough to believe that there is a God. It's not enough to believe that there is one God. It's not enough to believe that Jesus is the Savior of all people in general. Those are all true statements. Those are incomplete statements. What do you mean? I must also believe that Jesus is the Savior I personally need to rescue me from my sin by his death on the cross. I need a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior. That's how I need to respond to the good news about Jesus. So who receives the gift of salvation, the gift of peace with God? The group of people who respond to it by believing the good news about Jesus. Here's how Paul explained it to the Romans. This is Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, what do we have? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a fancy word. We've talked about it before. We'll talk about it again. What does it mean to be justified? Justification is to be declared righteous by God. That means I am right with him because he's declared it. It's not because I could do anything. It's not because I was so good or that I'm going to be so good. It's that he's declared this is so. He's given a ruling that I am right with him. That's what justification is. Because of what Jesus has done by his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. I've said it in several ways already that we receive peace with God by faith in Jesus. That is a fact. If I believe in Jesus as my Savior, I receive salvation and I receive that peace. That's what we just read in Romans 5. It is a free gift. But how do we experience that kind of peace? And that brings us to our second main point this morning. We receive peace with God by faith in Jesus. We experience peace by obedience to Jesus. We're going to look at a couple different passages here. Isaiah 26 and Philippians 4. Because some of you may be thinking, okay, Bob, I believed on Jesus as Savior, but I don't feel peaceful at all. In fact, I'm anxious, or I'm fearful, or troubled, or scared, or stressed, or depressed, or grieved. Or you can fill in the blank with any emotion or any feeling you want to, except peace. You're saying, I'm just not feeling it, Bob. I'm not feeling this peace that you say we have. In what ways can we obey God and experience the blessing of his peace? I'm going to give you, I'm going to count them, four or five ways. First and foremost, Trust God. Trusting God when we believe on him for salvation is only the beginning. I'm talking to myself here as well. If we can trust him for eternity, then you would think that we could trust him for the here and now, that we could trust him with our lives. But speaking for myself, I struggle with the here and now. I believe, yes, I'm saved. I'm going to spend eternity with God in heaven, enjoying his presence forever like we talked about last week. But I can't. Count on him to get me out of this traffic jam or 
this car that won't start, or this leak in the roof, or this health crisis. Some big things, some small things, but we have to trust him in those as well. In the words of Isaiah 26, we must fix our minds on him. If you've never memorized these two verses, please write them down. Please put them on your dashboard or your refrigerator or something. These are excellent verses for us to think about, for us to memorize. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed or fixed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For in Yah, the Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh, is everlasting strength. God will keep, or we could say, guard you with perfect peace when your mind is fixed on him, when you are keeping your mind on him. Why would you do that? Because you trust him. And then the command there, verse 4, trust in the Lord forever. Why? Because he has everlasting strength and power. Who else would you want to ask for help from? He has all of it in the entire universe. Whether it's the traffic or the flat tire or the cancer diagnosis. For any of those and for all of those and more, we have to go to him. We have to trust him. We have to fix our minds. Maybe that's a really good verb for us in English because that, that implies that it's messed up, it's broken. We have to fix, we have to correct, we have to position, we have to focus our mind on him. Someone has said that worry is the enemy of peace. And the truth is that we're all really good at meditation. I know that means different things in different contexts. But we're all really good at meditating. Because all that really means is that we're playing the same video or audio in our minds to ourselves over and over. I'm thinking about it over and over. I just can't get that out of my mind. This is what my default is right now. It just keeps playing over and over and over. That's meditation. And oftentimes that takes the form of worry. But if we want to experience God's peace, there are some additional ways that we can obey God and experience his peace. These are all from these verses in Philippians chapter 4. We can stop worrying and pray. That's in verse 6. And that's very similar to what we just talked about for trusting God in Isaiah. We can also set our minds on whatever meets God's standards. That's in verse 8. And then we can follow the example of Christ and his followers like Paul and do what they did with God's help. Now let me unpack that a bit. Here's Philippians 4. Starting with verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. What is that saying? It's saying, don't worry about anything. But instead, pray about everything. And if I do that, if I stop worrying about anything, and I pray, I go to God and talk to him about everything, then what will happen? What does verse 7 say? And the peace of God, there's that word again, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, 
<laughs> will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Do you want peace in your life? Thank you. Three of you want peace in your life. That's encouraging me this morning. I, I hope the rest of you do as well. What we need to do if we want peace in our life is to stop worrying and start praying. I've never heard a siren that sounded like Now, when I say that we need to pray about everything, stop worrying, start praying. I, I realize that at best, that sounds simplistic. And probably at worst, it sounds kind of harsh. Don't you care how I feel right now? Don't you care how I'm going through? You're just telling me to stop worrying. Start praying. Well, I, I don't I don't mean to be harsh or unkind at all. And it may seem simplistic. But it's what the Bible says. And that's why I'm sharing it with you. It's not because it's important. Because I said it's important because the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write it. And I don't mean an occasional one-sentence prayer. There is a time and place for that. Absolutely. When Peter got out on the water and he started to think, he said, save me, Lord, save me. And he did. Three words in English. That works. Jesus saved him. But Paul describes here three different aspects of prayer in this one short verse, referring to verse 6. Prayer which is just talking to God. Anytime we're talking to God, we call it prayer. Supplication is asking. It's petitioning. That's a fancier word. We're pleading with God for what you need. Thanksgiving. We just came through the season of Thanksgiving. We have a date on the calendar here in the United States called Thanksgiving Day. That's thanking God for who he is and what he's done. And perhaps in advance that he's going to answer what you're going to pray about. Thank him for what he's done in the past. Thank him for what he's going to do in the situation you're asking him about right now. And then Paul gives us some further instructions. Look at verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, Whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate, think on these things. I double dare you to filter your entertainment and your sports and your reading and your social media through that list. Look at it. Things that are true. Not uncertain. So much of what we worry about isn't true. So much of what we get gossiped about is not true. Whatever things are noble, just, pure, lovely, a good report, virtuous, praiseworthy. I believe if we did that consistently, that it would contribute to worrying less and praying more like we just saw. And therefore, experiencing the peace of God that is beyond understanding. But wait, there's more. Not only must we stop worrying, start praying, and start thinking about what is right, we need to start doing what is right. Verse 9, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, 
and the God of peace will be with you. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Follow Christ. Do what he did with his help and do it to the best of your ability and to the extent that I'm doing that, Paul says, follow me, imitate me, be like me. Now let's review. I want to make sure that we all got that. If you refuse to worry about anything and instead pray about everything, then what? The peace of God. You may want to underline that or mark that in your Bible if you do that. The peace of God will guard or literally umpire, umpire will call the balls and strikes in your life. That's the picture that he's painting. The peace of God will guard or umpire your mind. We need that. We commonly call that discernment. We need God to show us right and wrong, better and worse. We need him to show us his will. We need to show him to show us what we need to do. We need him to guide us. And where's that going to come from? It's going to come from his Holy Spirit speaking to me, guiding me. And in that process, I'm going to experience his peace. What's more, if you think on things that pass God's test and also do what he's commanded, look at the phrase. It's turned around, isn't it? The God of peace will be with you. Isn't that what you want at Christmas and throughout your life? That the God of peace would be with you. That you would have the peace of God that is beyond anything you can ask, think, or understand. And that that God who gives that peace would be with you. So to make this as practical as I can this morning, how do we experience God's peace? By trusting him in all things. By not allowing ourselves to worry about anything. By praying to him about everything with thanksgiving. Don't forget that part. By thinking only about what is pleasing to him and by doing only what is pleasing to him. Anybody able to do all that? <laughs> through Jesus, yes, through his Holy Spirit. Because I don't know about you, I can't do all that. And if you're honest, you can't either. Does that mean we aren't going to have any peace? Does that mean we don't have the peace of God and the God of peace? No. We can't do any of those things perfectly. But isn't that the point? We couldn't save ourselves either. We need Jesus. We need humble dependence on him. That's required to come to him for salvation. That's required to have him form Jesus in us to live the Christian walk. So we can't do that perfectly. We need Jesus. We need the help of his Holy Spirit to do that. And I'm not trying to put anybody on a guilt trip or, or give you a checklist of more things to do. That's not my purpose this morning. But what I would suggest is that if you aren't experiencing God's peace in your life, the Bible says we have it and we're supposed to experience it. If you're not experiencing it, then I would encourage you to prayerfully consider whether one of those five areas needs to change. The Holy Spirit will show you what needs to change and then give you the power to change. As we close, here's some more promises from Jesus about having and experiencing his peace. This is what he has given us and what he wants us to have. John 14, 27. Peace 
I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither be afraid. It's the words of Jesus. I'm going to read them to you in a different translation, a paraphrase. I am leaving you with a gift, Jesus says. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. We talk so much about giving and receiving gifts this time of year. This is a gift he's given. How do we have it? Because he's given the gift of his Holy Spirit, and we can have peace with God and experience the peace of God. Last one, John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, be encouraged, be comforted today. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. In the world, there are going to be times it's hard. There's going to be tribulation. But be of good cheer, he says. I have overcome the world. I win at the end. That's what he's saying to us. I've got this. Trust me. He's doing that this morning. He will keep in perfect peace the one who trusts him. The one whose mind has stayed on him. Many ideas this morning. We receive peace with God by faith in Jesus. And we experience the peace of God by obedience. There may be somebody in this room, child or adult, there may be somebody who's joined us online today that you don't have this peace with Jesus. You're not a believer in him for salvation. Not yet. Well, the bad news is that according to Isaiah, there is no peace, God has said, for the wicked. Not this kind of peace. It's not available to you. Apart from God. Apart from Jesus. But the good news is that according to Colossians, Jesus made peace through the blood of his cross. That's what he's done. We can do nothing about our sin. The consequences of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's good news. Believe on Jesus. Come to him. Accept this free gift of salvation. This free offer of peace. It's a peace the world can't take away. We'll have tribulation. But he's overcome the world. It doesn't mean that every moment of your life is going to be happy joy, easy. It doesn't mean that at all. It means that you have the Holy Spirit with you who will give you this peace that passes understanding that even in a trial you will have joy. Even in a trial you will have peace. Even in a trial you will have comfort. Because of him. Amen. Believers, are you experiencing the peace that the Bible says you have in Christ? Is it there? Is it a part of your everyday life? Is that how you would describe this last week? Not every moment, not if we're honest. If not, why not? I'm not saying go on a sin hunt, but if the Holy Spirit has really prompted you, he'll show you. It's not vague. If there's something that we need to confess, he will pinpoint it like a laser beam. And we confess it. And he's faithful, and he's righteous, and he forgives our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Our slate is wiped clean, so to speak. That's all you have to do. You, you turn from that sin, we call it repentance. You confess it, and you move on. And what I'm saying is, if he shows you to do that today, please do it. Please obey him. 
the fruit of the Spirit, or we could say the results of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life are spelled out in Galatians 5. And it goes like this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. What's the third one? Peace. Peace. Long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no love. That's the Word of God. That's the good news for this morning. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? First, I'll ask if there's anyone here this morning who would say, Bob, I don't have the peace you're talking about. I've never had that peace before, but I want to. If that describes you this morning, you can tell him right now. You can talk to God. That's what we call prayer. You can tell him that you are burdened for your soul, that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior from sin, and that you're putting your faith in him. You're doing that this morning. If you're praying, if you're calling out to Him to save you, would you let me know that? Would you look up and make eye contact with me this morning? And I'll remember you in prayer, not by name to embarrass you, but simply to pray for you. Believers. the Holy Spirit spoken to you in a specific way this morning that you're making a decision to start something, to stop something. Sin that you're repenting. Is there anyone that say, Bob, I'd like you to pray for me as you close. Would you remember you in prayer? Do the same. Either look up at me long enough for me to see it, or lift your hand and put it back down long enough for me to see it. Yes? 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 If you talk to God right now, with him on that. Because he's faithful. He's gracious. <coughs> he's kind and he's patient. Our Father, we are so thankful for the unspeakable gift of Christ. We thank you for this opportunity to gather with brothers and sisters and praise your name for this gift of salvation. Thank you for each one in this room, every family represented. Lord, I especially pray for these who have indicated that you have spoken to them this morning, that you have given them something specific that needs to change for them to be more like you. Lord, give them your grace. They're humbling themselves to come to you and admit that they cannot do this on their own, that they can't receive or maintain that peace on their own that it is from you. So I pray that you would seal the decisions in their hearts and that others would be able to encourage them in that as they share it. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to celebrate your incarnation. And I pray that you would keep us mindful of that throughout this season and encourage us where we needed to have conversations with loved ones or even strangers to share this good news with them. In Jesus' name.